The following program was paid for by Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. The views and opinions expressed on Answers Live are not necessarily those of the staff and management of the station. Management has not investigated the claims made during this program. The views and medical recommendations of guests on Answers Live are not necessarily those of Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. As always, consult your health professional regarding any medical decisions. Welcome to Answers Live, your community medical connection, making a partnership of good health. The studio lines are open for your calls and questions. Call 973-267-9687. Now, here's your host, Tom Wood. Good morning and welcome to Answers Live, your community medical connection, creating a partnership of good health. I'm your host, Tom Wood from ANS. Answers Live is an interactive talk show, so I would stress that you call in and speak to our guests live. The number is 973-267-9687. That's 973-267-WMTR. Answers Live is brought to you every Sunday morning at 930 by Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists, located at 310 Madison Avenue in Morristown, New Jersey. With eight other locations throughout the state, our newest one in Bedminster, New Jersey, at 350 Main Street in Bedminster. Our main office number is 973-285-7800. You can also reach us on the web at www.ansdocs.com. That's ansdocs.com. Okay, another great show today. My special guest today is Dr. Brian Slomovitz from Overlook and Morristown Hospital. We will be speaking on a very serious but very important topic of ovarian cancer. Good morning, Dr. Slomovitz. Hi, good morning, and thank you, thank you for having me on the show this morning. Absolutely, I'm excited. Um, before we start, let's give our listeners a little bit of an idea of uh, your background, your sure. office, how to get a hold of you. Sure. So my name is Dr. Brian Slomovitz. I work at the Women's Cancer Center, which is part of Marshtown Medical Center and Overlook Medical Center. I'm the Associate Director of the Women's Cancer Center. In addition, I'm the Medical Director of Oncology Research for the Carol G. Cancer Center, sorry, Carol G. Simon Cancer Centers, which are, of course, part of Overlook and Marshtown Medical Centers. Okay, welcome. Um, let's get started on ovarian cancer. I know... Um, our listening audience is, is probably very intent on hearing about this because it is prevalent in, in the society, and it's so scary because I know a lot of this you have to catch soon. Um, so we're going to really delve into what it is and, and, and what treatments are going on and, and a lot of the research because that's your specialty. But let's start with a basic question of uh, what are the symptoms of ovarian cancer? Thanks, Tom, and I think that's an, an important question to, to ask, and I think the, in the past, ovarian cancer was thought of as a silent cancer in that it doesn't really affect women until the later stages, and that would make it such a really a deadly disease. More and more recently, we've learned that there are some symptoms associated with ovarian cancer. However, they're really nonspecific symptoms, and these are the symptoms that we're instructing not only our patients, but also other healthcare providers in teaching our patients some of those symptoms can include abdominal pain, abdominal discomfort, um, crampy, ha having a crampy feeling in their pelvis. Um, symptoms like that can be early signs of ovarian cancer or that something wrong is going on in their pelvis. Okay. What about bloating? I hear a lot of women say, oh, I'm getting bloated. And, and I know end stage, being in medical field, when I had patients years ago, um, a lot of the ovarian patients had a bloatingness to them. Is that a sign, an early sign? Exactly. An another symptom that a patient would come in complaining about is 
um, abdominal bloating, or more specifically, they'll say that their pants are fitting them too tight or that they feel that they're pregnant. Obviously, when a, a 50- or 60-year-old woman comes to you and has symptoms like that, it is not normal. It's something that we need to be very um, cautious in working up and, and look more specifically to see what is going on. Okay, so uh, I guess if a patient hasn't gone through menopause, um, yeah, and, and they have to not just run right away when they feel bloated because it's a normal thing monthly that someone would get, but it's more of these prolonged... Uh, maybe feeling of weight gain, bloatiness, and the cramps that they'd have to be concerned with. Exactly. Any of these symptoms that we talked about, again, the bloating, the abdominal pain, the cramping, what we instruct patients and their doctors is anything that persists or get work, gets worse really over a, a week to two-week period is something that they consult, should consult their, their doctors with, whether it be their primary care doctor or their gynecologist. Okay. Another question, um, why is ovarian cancer so difficult to diagnose, or is that question less and less as research goes on? But I hear that it's very difficult to diagnose. It's still very, very difficult to diagnose. Ovarian cancer right now in this country, about 70 to 80% of patients who are diagnosed with this disease are diagnosed with advanced stage. So it's not ovarian cancer itself that is very, um, again, for lack of a better term, deadly, but it's advanced stage ovarian cancer. The problem is there is no, at this time, acceptable early detection tool to identify those patients who have early stage disease. To give you a little bit more specific information, those patients with early stage disease beat this disease, survive 90 to 95% of the time. Wow. Those numbers are much higher than the, someone who's diagnosed, a woman who's diagnosed with advanced stage disease. Her, 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 her chance of beating it can be anywhere between 10 and 30%, which obviously is much less and... Um, not not as that doesn't paint as good of a picture as someone who has a ninety to ninety five percent chance of beating this. Right, and the the lower survival rates, of course, at advanced stages because of usually the spread of the cancer. It's not only the spread of the cancer, but really what we've learned over time, it's the cancer's ability to resist any of the good treatments that we give. So even in a woman who does have advanced stage ovarian cancer, we are good at getting it away. We could get the disease away 80 to 90% of the time. Right. That's not the problem. The problem is that it has a tendency to come back about 75% of the time. And it's when it comes back that it's difficult to treat and really resistant to the good therapies that we have okay. in the earlier setting. And when you say it comes back, um, I'm sure with some of the surgeries, you, you remove the ovaries. Yep. Um, so when it comes back, is, is it goes to other organs or does it does the peritoneum? or the Where does it come yeah. back? Tom, that's a great question. When it comes back, it could come back. It does not come back to the ovaries because those are removed at the time of the primary treatment. It comes back really anywhere in the body, oftentimes um, abdominally. It could come back in lymph nodes. It could even come back in the lungs or, or in some other what we call distant metastases, those outside of the abdomen or pelvic area. Okay, so that explains the difficulty in treatment. Um, can you explain, we hear a blood test when you're looking for cancer, of, I guess it's called the CA-125. I've actually heard that and years ago, um, that that's a, a cancer test to see if there's any markers or something to identify cancer. Um, but with ovarian cancer, this hasn't been very successful. Why is that? So, so it's a great point. So the story, the, 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 there's a story about CA-125. One thing of interest is how, how did it get its name? Um, they were doing experiments. CA stands for cancer antigen. The 125, it was the 125th experiment um, that they did that they were successful in finding this blood test. That gives us the name CA-125. It is not a good screening test by itself to look at CA-125 values. We've looked at that um, for, for the past several years to see if looking at a woman's CA-125 to see if it's normal or abnormal, if that could detect cancer, 
And the answer is it cannot. It's not good at screening for ovarian cancer. More recently, um, Atlantic Health, which is Marstown Medical Center and Overlook Medical Centers, we've been participating in a study which is led through the MD Anderson Cancer Center out of Houston. We're looking at not only CA125 values, but we're looking at the rate of change of CA125 over time. And what we're finding is it's not the normal or abnormal value that means something, but given, having a woman act as her own control. So we come in, we draw a baseline CA125. Looking at the subsequent CA125 values after that time can really help to predict and help to identify earlier cases of this disease. Okay. Another way of saying that, and, and in the study, and we've had thousands of women so far enrolled in the study, and the study's results so far have been met in a very positive view, not only locally, but um, nationally. It's been covered by NBC and USA Today. But in that study, one other way of looking at it is we've been able to identify case or early cases of ovarian cancer in women in that their CA125 levels went up. Even when a cancer was diagnosed, the value was normal. Mm-hmm. So it was less than the 35 or 20, whatever the lab says is normal. So it had a normal value, but based on the rate of rise, we were able to identify women who had stage one or two disease, again, giving them a good shot at beating the cancer. Okay. Wow, that's interesting that you can do a CA125, actually have the cancer, but that shows normal initially. Yes. Okay. How does a, a woman become enrolled in this study? Because I'm sure you know people listening would be like, I would, would like that's, to get into that. And that's a great question. We really we, we appreciate the opportunity to to offer this study to our to our listening audience and to the patients in our community. The in order to enroll in this study, um, you there's an email address. The email address is ovarian screening at atlantichealthoneword.org. Okay, ovarian screening at at atlantichealth.org. Okay. And if you were able to put that on your website as well, that would be we'd be very interested in that. Absolutely. In, 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 in summary, all women the ages of 50 to 74 who have at least one ovary are eligible for this study. So it's not a high-risk study. It's not a study looking for a small population of patients. It's a study that we're really looking to accrue most women in that age bracket, which is something exciting, a way to find an early screening test for low-risk or average-risk women, not necessarily some of the higher-risk patients. Okay. Um, so we'll definitely, if you need that uh, address again, it, you can call the station or, uh, like I said, call Atlantic um, uh, Health Systems. They'll give it to you, or you can even call the Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialist and uh, ask for me, and I will get you that email address again. I want to touch more and get a little more into the research aspect, but while we're we have uh, talking about the cancer, let's talk a little bit about the success rate for treating ovarian cancer. Then let's go back into the research that's being done, but what is the success rate of treating ovarian cancer? So, so that, that's a great question. Right now, we are successful in having our patients with ovarian cancer living longer. Um, in the past, the, the median survival in, in advanced case of ovarian cancer for a woman may have been three years. Now the median survival, even over the last couple of years, has increased to be greater than five or six years. Things that we're doing to help women live longer is we're, we're using the latest technologies, we're using the latest treatment options available. Some of those include giving chemotherapy, what's called intraperitoneally, or it's what it does is it bathes the cancer cells in chemotherapy rather than just giving it intravenously. Okay. We found that that's one way of offering a, a better outcome for our patients. Giving chemotherapy in, di- um, in different routes rather than giving it a, in a traditional way of once a month or once every three weeks, 
We've been giving it more often weekly, which we found is associated with lower toxicity, but actually better outcome. And there's also newer drugs available. One of the newer drugs we have is something called bevacizumab or Avastin. In simple terms, in order for a tumor to grow, it needs to have blood vessels. Similarly, in order for a tree to grow, it needs the roots need to be able to grow. What Avastin does or bevacizumab does is it cuts off the body's ability or the cancer cell's ability to grow those roots, to grow those blood supplies in order to help cancer shrink and, again, yielding a better outcome for these patients. Okay. Uh, and that's through all the great research that's going on. And uh, again, we'll get into that. Um, I was reading, and, and there was a new study presented, I guess, this year in March at the Society of Gynecological uh, Meeting in Los Angeles. And it found out that women receiving treatment uh, for ovarian cancer have the best outcomes when they're at a high-volume uh, high center. Can you explain that study, and why is it important to be at a high-volume center? Sure, that's, that's a great point, and this is where we're really... Um, really proud of the efforts that we've put forward out of our Women's Cancer Center to offer the best treatments available for our patients. The study that you're referring to was presented this year at our, our society's annual meeting. It's called the Society of Gynecologic Oncology. And what they did in this study is they looked at really thousands of women over a 10-year period, and they looked at how they were treated for ovarian cancer. They compared how they were treated versus what the current best standards are or the, the latest and greatest way patients really should be treated. And unfortunately, this was really an eye-opening study, they found that only 37% of the patients in that study were offered the correct, what we call NCCN, or current standard treatment options for ovarian cancer. The remainder of the patients were offered lesser treatment options. One of the conclusions of that study was real, really emphasized the, the fact that women with ovarian cancer, or really women who are at risk for ovarian cancer, that can mean a strong family history, that could mean having a large pelvic mass that we're not sure of what, what it is yet. But those women should be referred to high-volume centers. When we talk about high-volume centers and what we have available in this community, at Marshtown Medical Center and Overlook Medical Center, when we compare our numbers to those of the other large academic centers, not only in this area, but really nationwide, we find that our volume numbers and our outcomes always fall in the top 10th percentile when compared to some of these other institutions. In the tri-state area, of those institutions that report to a really a service called the University Health System Consortium, this is a group that collects volume numbers and outcome numbers from a large number of academic institutions throughout the nation, we found that Marstown is always in the top in the tri-state area uh, as far as volume when it comes to treatment of ovarian cancer and other cancers we see like endometrial cancer. And that is exciting for all the women that are listening that we have this amazing resource right in our backyard and somewhere to go for this type of cancer plus the research studies. I'm going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. I'm Tom Wood of Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. Suffering from neck or back pain can truly disrupt your life. Every day I hear of the stories of people whose lives have been devastated by nerve pain, but who are afraid to see a neurosurgeon. They're scared of surgery. But at Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists, we make getting back to the life you want possible using a variety of minimally invasive treatments. Our group of specialists are among the best trained doctors in the state 
the leaders in stroke and minimally invasive spine and brain tumor procedures, and we view surgery as the last option. Don't be afraid to end your pain. Trust Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. We have eight offices throughout New Jersey and are affiliated with most healthcare systems. Call 973-285-7800 or visit us at ansdocs.com. That's ansdocs.com. Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. We've truly got your back. Welcome back to Answers Live. I'm your host, Tom Wood. I'm here today with Dr. Brian Slomovitz from Overlook and Morristown Medical Centers. We're discussing ovarian cancer. Um, we've got a lot of great information on the research going on, the wonderful treatments right here, uh, really in our own backyard that is really leading ovarian research and treatment. Um, they are, I want to reiterate, the trials that are going on that are open to women ages 50 to 70. 50 to 70. 50 to 70. Let me give you those uh, that information again. Um, it's ovarian.screening at atlantichealth.org, or you can call uh, and speak to them to register for the, uh, the, the screening trial, which is 973-971-6491. And to get a hold of Dr. Brian Slomovitz at his office directly, it's 973-971-5900. Okay, we did leave off about um, high-volume centers. Um, it's best to go uh, have their treatment at these high-volume centers, which Morristown Hospital and Overlook are um, at the le- leading with uh, Dr. Brian Slomovitz. So I want to get back where we left off and discuss uh, treatments and research, um, other treatments and research that you're doing um, at sure. your centers and your office to help women live longer and stay healthy. Sure. Thanks, Tom. So we're, we are excited, as mentioned, about the prevention trial. But, you know, the big question is, what about those women who have cancer? What are we doing to help um, them really live longer? We do have several treatment trials at any time for women with gynecologic malignancies. We have anywhere between 10 to 15 trials. Eight to 12 of those trials are usually for ovarian cancer specifically. And we try to offer those trials to our patients, either when they're newly diagnosed or especially when we recur, to not say that we're really happy with our current success rates, but really try to better those success rates. Right right now, for, there's one trial, for example, in newly diagnosed women with ovarian cancer that we're giving them the standard chemotherapy, but then after the chemotherapy, where we normally would simply just observe them or not do anything, we have an exciting vaccine trial that we're creating a vaccine for the women and we're saying it's a phase three trial. So we're saying, can this vaccine help you live longer? It's a placebo-controlled trial, so it is offering the standard of care, which is no, no additional treatment, again, after chemotherapy, but it's seeing if this new exciting vaccine can help to keep it away. In the recurrent setting, we also have exciting trials available that we look for. In some of these trials, we look at specific genetic mutations that can make up a tumor, and we're targeting those mutations using novel therapies and newer drugs that are out there. Again, some of these drugs are not yet available for a patient to simply have their doctor write a prescription or to go to the hospital and get it. They need to be given in a clinical trial type of setting. Okay, so they have to be part of a research study, and they can get involved in these research studies by reaching out to you and your center. Exactly. Uh, And one of the things that we're really proud of in the past, uh, when a woman in this area needed one of these drugs, they would either have to go to New York or go to Philadelphia. We're offering a lot of women this disease in this community be available to enroll in some of these newer trials, and they can also stay in the area. When someone's sick from a cancer, it's not as easy to travel. 
it puts more stress on them and on their on their families. So we'd like for them to stay here, to stay local, but also to be able to offer them the newer techniques and the newer treatments that are available. That's so exciting, and it's probably good for the listeners to understand that right here in Morristown and Summit, um, we have that ability for these patients. So um, even at Atlantic Health, we have the um, patients, of course, with brain tumors that used to have to go to the city. They don't any longer. They have the high-tech stuff right here in our office. And again, with the uh, uh, Overlook uh, Neuroscience right in their backyard. So it's it's really amazing how, how medicine is now bringing such great stuff close by. Um, I do want to touch a little bit on the surgery, but I'm sure a lot of people are listening. And, and my curiosity, is ovarian cancer preventable? Is it something that just happens? Is it something like smoking we know, you know helps assist in getting lung cancer, is there a way to prevent ovarian cancer? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And the first thing that w- when we're looking at preventing the cancer, um, we have to look at the cause of the cancer. One issue that comes up often is what about family history? Are there other women in the family with ovarian cancer or really breast cancer? Breast cancer and ovarian cancer are linked together genetically. There's a hereditary syndrome called a BRCA mutation where we oftentimes look at in women to see if they have a mutation in this gene, BRCA, that is a mutation that can increase their risk of developing an ovarian and a breast cancer. Unfortunately, only about 10% of all cases of ovarian cancers are due to this BRCA mutation. So prevention, to, 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 to directly answer your question, if a woman has a BRCA mutation, yes, we're taking out their ovaries and their tubes, at a time when, when they've completed childbearing, so it doesn't affect their ability to make a family, but after completed childbearing, we would offer a prophylactic surgery for those women in order to prevent the disease. What about the other 90%? How can we decrease that number? We're, we're working on ways to decreasing that, to, to preventing the disease. Unfortunately, nothing's really ready for prime time yet. What can women do? What can, sorry, what can women do to prevent cancer? The simple things, healthy lifestyle, um, obesity has been associated with the development of ovarian cancer, so maintaining a proper weight. Um, not not, not uh, over amounts of alcohol can increase the risk of ovarian cancer. Really unhealthy lifestyle. So if you really try to maintain a healthy heart, healthy lifestyle, um, issues like that, then it's one way to help stay healthy overall, and that would has been shown to decrease ovarian cancer. Okay. Other than that, unfortunately, there's no strong ways to, to prevent the disease. Okay. So similarity in the, in the shows over the next several uh, past weeks that I've done on cancers is uh, the number one preventative for most of them is, is healthy living, healthy diet, exercise. And then for those women who have that, that gene, um, like I said, you contact these centers and, and they'll, they'll assist you and, and possibly uh, some of the surgery we discussed. Um, we were also discussing the surgeries about re- removing the ovaries and the tubes for prevention, but when you have the ovarian cancer, um, I hear a lot about robotic surgery. Yep. Do you perform robotic surgery? I do perform robotic surgery right now. We're, we're very busy in our center. Personally, I do about six to eight robotic surgeries a week. Wow. Um, we're, we're, our center has um, done hundreds of these procedures. Um, we offer robotics for women who need hysterectomies for women who need their ovaries and tubes removed. In advanced cases of ovarian cancer, we're still not there yet as far as offering the min- a minimally invasive or robotics approach. Those women still require to have an incision. But in 
cases of early stage disease and even the cases of isolated recurrences, we're doing more and more minimally invasive using the Da Vinci robotic system. What that allows us to do, it allows us to do everything that we were able to do with an open procedure, but with a much smaller incision, allowing for patients to have less blood loss, less post-operative pain, really getting them home sooner and getting them back to their families and having a productive lifestyle. I think the robotics technology is really phenomenal and has really transformed the way that we, we offer surgery to a lot of our patients. Okay, and that, that is available at both hospitals or? We're really spoiled in this area. We have three, between the two hospitals, we have three of the latest robotic systems. It's called the Da Vinci SI platform. Okay. But we have three of those systems and um, I, I think that the G1 oncologists in our group, including myself, we're using the robot more than most of the subspecialties that are out there. Okay. Yeah, I did hear that a couple of years ago with pr- prostate cancer. I had a friend who had prostate cancer through that, uh, did very, very well. When should a patient consider robotic surgery? And for I know with cancer, you, you hear some stories when people say, oh, you know, they'll, if they open, open you up, it spreads, so on and so forth. Can you, can you talk about that? Is that something that's true? A lot of us who are not medical uh, physicians hear that, and it's scary. So right away I say, oh, I would want robotics right away. But advanced cases, sometimes it's still better to actually have an incision. Yeah, exactly. So in advanced cases, it is better to have an incision. So we could really get the, the purpose of the first surgery is to get rid of as much of the tumor as possible. Unfortunately, with ovarian cancer, oftentimes that includes more than just surgery in the pelvic area or in the lower abdomen, but it may include doing surgery as high up as the liver and the diaphragm in order to resect the disease. In those patients that don't have spread of disease as indicated either by symptoms or by um, CAT scan or imaging that's done preoperatively, oftentimes those patients are good candidates for a minimally invasive or robotics approach. In choosing, which is the, the for the patient, in choosing if they're eligible or not, first they need to be to see a surgeon who can offer that technique. Um, there are a lot of times places or people out there who would not re- offer robotics technology, not necessarily because the patient's not a good candidate for it, but because that surgeon or that hospital may not have the technology available to properly offer it for the patient. So I think the patients do need to be their best advocates and ask their surgeon whether or not they are candidates for the robotic technique. And if that surgeon himself or herself um, has done a fair amount of the robotics surgeries in order to properly uh, offer it for the patient. And then once they've established that comfortable relationship with their healthcare provider to go through the images, to go through their symptoms, to go through what potentially stage the disease may be at to see if they're a good candidate to have that surgery for themselves. Okay. So in the earlier stages, robotics is probably the way to go. Um, so people should research to see what centers have that because it's, and if their doctor doesn't offer it, maybe they should take the initiative to look and research that themselves. I did hear, is it true that some, uh, about robotic surgery, that some of the doctors start it robotically, but then they finish, then they don't finish it robotically. Um, why is that important to know? Yeah, I think that's a that's a great question. So it's not only the centers that need to have a robot. Robotic surgery is still surgery performed by a a surgeon or an individual who's specially trained to do the procedure. Having a robot in an institution or in a hospital um, is not enough. It needs to be be performed by someone who's done a lot of these procedures. In interviewing your surgeon to determine whether or not you want that person to do your surgery, the important questions are how many have they done and what is their conversion rate? How often do they start the procedure robotically and how often do they finish it? Right now in our practice, whenever I start something robotically, we finish it that way greater than 95% of the time. Awesome. And that's probably an acceptable 
um, higher than the standard number that we should look at. I think a good standard would be 90% of the time. But if the surgeon is telling you the truth and is giving you the accurate numbers, you want to make sure that that person really, whatever they start robotically, there's a very, very high chance of finishing it that way. Okay. Uh, that was very good inf- information. Uh, the show is coming to a close, so I want to touch base a little bit um, at the end on very important numbers and, and ways to contact you. Again, my guest today was Dr. Brian Slomovitz from Overlook and Morristown Medical Center. His line at his office is 973-971-5900. And the ovarian screening, which, again, is open up for uh, patients uh, 50 to 70 years old, um, is ovarian dot screening at AtlanticHealth.org, or you can call for more information to the actual number there is 973-971-6491. Uh, we learned so much about ovarian cancer, and I want to thank you again today uh, for being my guest. Um, I probably will bring you back at future shows to discuss maybe this topic or more because you do a lot of gynecological cancers, not just ovarian. So we would want to touch base on that. Um, Again, uh, Answers Live is brought to you every Sunday by Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. We can be reached at 973-285-7800. Again, thank you so much for listening, and I will speak to you all again next Sunday. Have a wonderful day. Join us again next week for Answers Live, your community medical connection making a partnership of good health. The preceding program was paid for by Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. The views and opinions expressed on Answers Live are not necessarily those of the staff and management of the station. Management has not investigated the claims made during this program. The views and medical recommendations of guests on Answers Live are not necessarily those of Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. As always, consult your health professional regarding any medical decisions.